seated. All righty, boys and girls, make sure you have your children's bulletin here. It's got a place where you can follow along and answer your own questions or ask us some questions if you have any. For everybody else, we're going to be in Luke chapter 16 this morning. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. It's printed for you in your bulletin. It'll be on the screen overhead. If you want, you can open up your smartphones and find it on your handy-dandy Bible app there. If you don't have one, I highly recommend the ESV app. It's very good and it's free. And so for those of you who are guests here this morning, we, we want to thank you for letting us serve your children this week. It, we had a blast. We certainly hope your kids had a blast as well. We thought it'd be nice to invite you back to worship um, this morning. And so we're glad to see that you're here. Um, we don't want to assume anything upon you. So, you know, what we're doing here, just want to explain briefly, this is not a speech I'm about to give. No one needs to hear anything from me to be completely candid. We believe that God has spoken to us in his word, that this is his actual word from an actual God. And we believe that our job is to see what he tells us. And so every week, a minister of the gospel spends significant time looking over a passage and studying it and praying it and comes and tries to apply what this text says to our lives because it's part of our lives today. And so what we're doing here is not a speech. We're just looking at God's Word and trying to apply it. And so what I thought I'd do is I picked a passage that I hope grabs your attention. We're going to talk about hell. Yay, right? (laughs) Exactly. Great. That's exactly what we want to hear today. Okay, so, but forget all that stuff you think you know about hell. It's probably all wrong anyway. All the pictures you have, everything you think, it's, it's not really what it's about. Instead, this passage actually shows us the real hell. And so if you would, would you look at me? Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. This is God's word, a story Jesus himself tells. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send them to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead... They will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. 
This is God's word. Before we go to his word, let's go to him again in prayer. Father, we do ask that you would open this word up to us, Lord. Lord, would you give us truth from your very lips? Would you help us to see Christ? And if we do know him, to know more of him. And if we don't, to come to know him. How would you do this, Father? By your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this is a story that Jesus told to a group of, I'm just going to say it, greedy, powerful, religious jerks. These people were all about money and power. And he tells us this himself. If you want to turn back, we have it on a slide. In verse 14, he tells us exactly who he's talking to. He says this. says, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. That's the context for Jesus telling this story. They saw him with poor people, all these dirty sinners that they ignored. Jesus is telling these sinners about grace, about mercy, and these religious people made fun of Jesus for doing that, for hanging around and teaching a bunch of losers, basically. These, these religious leaders thought they were better than other people. They knew they were better than other people. These people weren't quite as religious as they were. It's kind of like how many people today who don't go to church assume religious people will judge them if they ever show up. So Jesus tells this story to remind these mean religious people, he's talking to them, that God shows mercy in the most unexpected places to the most unexpected people. Now, this is called a parable. Now, Jesus told this story to make a point, and so every detail is important. We need to remember, there was no rich man. There was no guy named Lazarus. Jesus made this story up for a point. So every detail is important. So we're going to dig in to these details and ask reasons for them. So first of all, who's the rich man? Jesus says this guy had the best clothes, that he feasted every day, that he lived sumptuously. I don't know what that means, but it sounds important. So he, he has this very expensive lifestyle. It's very showy. And again, he has to do it every day. What kind of person has to do this daily? See, this tells us something about his heart from the very beginning. He had to live this way. This is the behavior, we would say, almost of an addict. You've got to do it every day. Now, in this time, in this place that Jesus is speaking, there is no way this guy was an atheist. The hearers would have assumed this character knows all the Moses stuff. He would have done all the religious things. It would be very difficult to be wealthy in that community without being part of the religious community. And yet, it shows all that stuff didn't fulfill his heart. Instead, rich dude, he needed everybody to know that he was rich. He had to wear the best clothes and be showy. He had to feast like this to show his heart that he was important. He proved to himself and to the world that he mattered because... He was rich. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to see. He said, sumptuously every day. And Jesus shows us that rich guy's plan doesn't work. He has no name. He's just rich dude. He's a wealthy person. He's the same type of guy as the Pharisees and the religious leaders who are listening, the powerful people. Jesus is talking to them, and they would assume this character was one of them, an important person. And yet he has no name. He's just some rich guy. 
not special enough to have a name. See, without all the money, without all the power, Jesus is kind of subtly saying he's nobody. And because he has to imbibe every day deep down, he knows it. You know, as a pastor, people tell me their secrets very often. And many people feel about themselves deep down that I'm a nobody. I'm unlovable. I hear hear the word failure from people so often it would shock you. Guilty. Losers. Why are these feelings so common? Because God is holy and he demands perfection. We talk about God's love and God's mercy and those are absolutely fundamentally true but it's just as true as God says, be holy as I am holy. And he doesn't compromise on that. And our creator, as our creator, he says he has put his instructions in our very hearts. It's part of our being. We know what God demands of us and deep down we know we fall short. We feel guilty because we are guilty. See, the message of Christianity, the gospel, is not that, but in your guilt, you can learn to be religious too. Yay. No. The message of Christianity is not do some ritual stuff and you'll be better. The gospel is that Jesus Christ can set you free from that guilt and give you joy. And that's what he wants these religious people to see. What if you believe that? Okay, well, who's Lazarus then? Well, first thing, he's got a name. He matters. You know, for much of his ministry, Jesus told stories like this, these parables. This is the only time in the four Gospels he gives a character a name. He wants, this, he wants you to see that, that, that distinction. No name and a name. He gives a character a name. He's not poor man. He's not sinner. I mean, it would make sense. Rich man, poor man. No, rich dude and Lazarus. Because he matters. He's important. He's got a name. And it's about all he's got, we see. He's so miserable that the dogs come and lick him. Okay, these are not man's best friend like you think. They would go from licking to chewing if he let them, if he laid still long enough. But here's why the dogs are important. Jesus' snobby listeners would be disgusted by this man having dogs lick him. He is officially too nasty for grace because those dogs licked him. They would say he is unclean. That's a religious term. You are so dirty and so bad, you can't even come to church. According to their religious views, he was too far gone. He can't go to church. He's too dirty. He's too messed up. He is too bad to receive grace. That's how they would have heard these words. It's sort of like, unfortunately, many of us have experienced Like a churchy person today might look upon some people if they showed up in church. What is she doing at church? Can you believe he would dare come here after what he did? Is she wearing that? Have you ever felt you were too bad for grace? Have you ever been made to feel you were too bad for grace? Jesus is talking about you. So what happens? The story continues. They both die. Rich man ends up in agony. Terrible suffering. He would have been a pillar of the community. Religiously faithful. And yet here he is in hell. And Lazarus is taken by angels to Abraham's side. 
Abraham was the hero of these religious people. Here, poor, dirty Lazarus is with Abraham? What? Now, by the way, for those of you who've been around church for a while, Abraham's side is not some misty subcategory of heaven. It's a specific reference to the position during a meal. In their culture, they would have immediately heard, oh, Lazarus is being taken out to lunch by Abraham. That's what Abraham's side means, he's eating with me. And don't you love that? Hungry Lazarus gets taken out to lunch. Do you know why? Because he's hungry. Don't religious this up. The text does not say, Jesus does not say, he hungered and thirsted for righteousness. And so he was, no, brother wanted a meal. And so in heaven, he gets to eat. God loves to give good things to his people. Do you believe that? You see, most Southerners, and I'm one of you, most Southerners, we we default to a Christian karma. If I do certain things, especially of a more religious nature, I get a good life. And if I do certain bad things, I'll get a bad life. And so i got to make sure that I balance things out. Okay, well, I, was, I partied out too hard on Friday night. Okay, I guess I should probably go to church Sunday morning. That equals out, right? You know, it's the same logic that says, I'm struggling with my weight. I'll eat the Snickers bar and drink a Diet Coke because they cancel out, right? So it's, that's, that's kind of what religious karma is. We think that way. And the nasty part about religious karma is when we see someone struggling in life, we apply that to, oh, they must have been bad. And we see somebody who we call, who, who, we even use the word, right? Blessed. They have no financial worries. We call them blessed. They must have earned that from God. We bring that karma into the, to the gospel. And that's not biblical Christianity. The Bible shows us that God is gracious. He's extremely compassionate. He likes to be good and kind to his people. Lazarus gets to eat because God likes to give good things. That's what Jesus is trying to teach with this whole story. God likes to give good things. He is a God of grace and mercy. Remember, he's talking to a bunch of upright religious jerks. And I get to say that, and if you read all four Gospels, you'll agree with me. They knew, I mean, they just knew that God didn't want to be nice to anybody. Their God didn't want to be nice. They forced him to be nice through their religious rituals. If I do these things, he has to be nice to me. And if I do them better than you do, he gets to be nicer to me than you, and I get to judge you. God was forced to be gracious by their behavior. They just knew it. The better they acted, the nicer God was to them. Not out of kindness, but out of obligation. And they just knew that God didn't like Lazarus types at all. That's why they made fun of Jesus for hanging out with those types of people. Maybe you think God doesn't like you. Maybe this Christian karma thing that so many of us grew up here in the Christ-haunted South, maybe you think that, oh, i, I got to clean my act up before I can go to church. Oh, I, oh, I'm, not, I'm not good enough to go to church. I, 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 I don't go to church that much for one thing, so I know God doesn't like that. I drink a beer occasionally, and supposedly God doesn't like that. I, I, I say a dirty word sometimes in those seven minutes that there's actually a rush hour on Chestnut. I, I, I say a bad word. I lose my temper sometimes. See, to all who think that you've got to clean up your act so God will like you, Jesus tells a story because you're wrong. Jesus said the rich guy who everybody knew was blessed 
is actually in torment. While dirty, unclean, licked by dogs, Lazarus is in heaven at a banquet. Completely reverses everything that they just knew. So a rich guy apparently can see Lazarus. Again, this is a story. Jesus is telling details for a reason. And so he makes this request of Father Abraham. I love how he still assumes he's powerful. He still assumes Abraham is his father. He still assumes that he can order people around. And so he still assumes Lazarus is the kind of person he can order around. Lazarus is still just a poor servant to him. He's a nobody. I'm a somebody. Send him to do my will, please, Father Abraham. It's two rich guys taught. Will you send one of your people to do this for me? One of your minions? Thank you. I mean, rich guy doesn't even seem to notice this chasm between them. And what does he ask for? What does the rich man actually ask for? See, it's pretty simple, right? He's not happy. He wants out. But that's not what he asked for, is it? He doesn't ask to get out once. He doesn't ask to get out of torment. What does he ask? He asks for Lazarus to leave the banquet and come and serve him in his torment. He wants Lazarus to come and serve him in hell. It's not so much, a, oh, make me happier as it is. Would you make him more miserable? Because that's really bumming me out. And that's not my cynical interpretation. I read a sermon from a guy in about 380 in North Africa. who He said this rich man could not stand it that someone was doing better than him, just like most of us can't. Isn't it amazing that... 1,700 years, we could say the exact same thing about us, couldn't we? How do we deal with disappointments, with failures in our life? Are we like that? You know, you know I can deal with being unhappy. Would you just please make them not so happy? That'd be great. I heard a comedian this week talking about this, in a, this game her family inadvertently play, plays. And as soon as she described it, I was like, oh, man, I've got people in my family like that. I've got friends like that. You probably know people like that. She called it joy whack-a-mole. Joy whack-a-mole. She goes, every time I come up with something good and great happening in my life, it's like someone in my house has to immediately whack it right back down. Oh, I got this great scholarship. I'm going to go off to the school and study. Well, that's just fantastic. Of course, you know, there's starving people who don't ever get to go to college. But you go. You have fun. That's great. Whack, right? No matter what you say, we've all got people in our life like, yeah. And it's part of this idea of it's not so much that I want to be happy, just don't let them be happier than I am. You see, when we're unhappy, do we try to make others less happy so we'll feel better? That's what rich man asks for here. He doesn't ask to get out. Just make Lazarus a little bit more. He's getting a little uppity. He's getting above his raisins, as some might say. That's how the rich guy deals with his torment. But what if Jesus offers us a better way? You see, Jesus offers us grace and acceptance. And he shows us that later on in verse 25, Abraham tells the rich dude, look, Lazarus is done serving. He's done suffering. It's time for him to have good stuff because he's now loved and accepted. Leave him alone. And rich guy still doesn't get it. I love his response. Is, oh, well, then send him off to, to, to help my family out. Because, you know, God's word in the Old Testament, not good enough. Would you send Lazarus, please? And you can almost see Abraham in the story going, dude, things have changed. Lazarus doesn't exist to serve you. You're not the center of the world. You don't get to boss people around. 
See, here's what's going on here. The rich guy is so selfish. He's so much about being a powerful, influential member of the community who gets the boss people around that even in death and suffering, he is nothing but wealth, power, and his status. His addiction in his life has consumed him in his death, and that is his hell. There's no person left here. A person would want to get out of torment. Instead, there's only selfishness. There's only someone who has power and status. That's all that's left. There's nothing really human about him. He's just rich guy. He doesn't need a name. Remember at the very beginning I said, what you think you know about hell is wrong? All the little devils and the pitchforks and stuff, right? That's all from a silly little book. The equivalent in the Middle Ages of a comic book, basically. This story shows us the real hell. That part of yourself you don't like, that you can't get rid of, that you desperately wish would go away and you're so afraid of other people finding that out about you, that will become all you are in hell. It will consume you completely and become who you are. That may be a little weird. Here's what I'm trying to say. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, wrote several philosophical books. And one of them, he's talking about this idea using this parable as a jumping off point. And here's how he said it. He he said this. He's he's talking about um, a specific person he just calls X. He says, you know, not even God with all his power can make X really happy as long as X remains envious, self-centered, and spiteful. In each of us there is something growing which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. See, what Lewis is doing is using this parable that Jesus teaches. He's saying, look, whatever we give our lives to now, it will consume us and it will become our torment. Are you an angry person? Then you will be only anger in hell. Jealous? Then you will be only jealousy. The terrible parts of you will be your prison after death. And what made you, you, will be gone. So who do you tell yourself you are? What's your identity? What would your kids say? Are you angry dad? Frustrated mom? See, Jesus can set you free from that so it doesn't consume you. So what's the point of this parable then? Everybody look with me at the last verse, verse 31. And Jesus said, Abraham, Jesus saying this through Abraham says, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. See, it's not the miracles. It's believing God's word that's important. And here's specifically what this means for us. What God's word says about you is more powerful and important than what you or anybody else says about you. That's what Jesus is saying here. What God's word says about you is more powerful and more important than what your own heart or anybody else says about you. See, God's word can lead you into hope even during a trying life. Jesus welcomes the outcast. He brings in those who are not good enough and says, yes, you are. And he brings them to a place of complete happiness called heaven. That's the promise. Your failures and your regrets, 
don't define you in the world Jesus offers. Wouldn't it be great not to be defined by your failures and your regrets like we do in our own hearts so often? He offers complete forgiveness, complete, total acceptance, friendship. The Bible says it's a place where the lion will lay down with the lamb, or we could say where the murderer will lay down with the murdered. It's that good. It's that contrary to what we think. See, in Jesus, when you become one of his, he actually offers you a daily glimpse of that world every day. For all who place their faith and trust in him, he will come and he will change you. You see, we are all Lazarus, unqualified, helpless, absolutely too dirty for religion to save us. We have no hope outside of the grace of our Lord And Jesus reminds us that none are too bad for God's grace. Whatever your guilty heart just brought up to your mind, God's grace can overcome that. It doesn't disqualify you from his mercy. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, you can be reconciled to your creator. That's the gospel. And Jesus said here as he ends, you know, even if someone should rise from the dead, that God is more powerful than that. But someone did rise from the dead. And that changes everything. Jesus Christ came. God himself entered into our world in flesh. And the God who said, be holy as I am holy, sent his son born of a human woman. Born under those instructions. Born under that law. Jesus Christ said, okay, I will be holy as my father is holy. And he did it. He lived the life that we should have lived. And then, amazing, he did not deserve to die, and yet he submitted himself to the cross, and he died the death that we should die for breaking the law of the holy God. And he proclaimed that if you place your faith and trust in me, my death becomes yours, my life becomes yours, and so you don't have to die for your sins because I did. My perfect life is given to you, and God can look at you and say, holy, mine. And it sounds too good to be true, and hardly anybody ever believed it. But then three days later, he rose from the grave and said, See, I defeated death. It's true. And it changed the world. And it can change your world. If you will place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the resurrected Lord, he will come into you. He will change you. He will let you know that you are not too bad. He will fulfill you. He will give you joy. He will give you a banquet because you are hungry. Oh, don't be the rich man who can't even see grace. Look at hungry Lazarus given a banquet and see how God takes care of his people. Jesus' death paid the penalty for your sin, for your guilt, for your failures, for your embarrassments. Simply look to him in faith. Trust Him as your new master. Serve Him and He will fulfill you. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that You would do Your work of salvation even now, that You would draw people to Yourself. You promise that as Jesus Christ is lifted up and portrayed as crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected, that you would draw your people to yourself. We ask you would do that even now. 
Would you show people the grace that is available through the Lord Jesus Christ? And perhaps that's you right now. Perhaps you recognize that you've never actually placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You may have been coming to church for a long time. That's just an empty ritual. That's not saving faith. But actually, you believe that Jesus Christ lived for you, died for you, and was raised for you. If so, you can simply play, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the resurrected Lord. Would you forgive me of my sins and make me your child? And that's it. And if you did that, would you talk to the person who brought you here today? Or you would come forward and talk to me or, or John Mark. We'd love to talk with you about that. Father, we pray for those here who do know you, that you would deepen our appreciation of your grace, that we would cast off our tendency to be the Pharisees, to be the religious jerks, to look at behavior, to look at dress, to look at speech, to look at what you choose to drink and judge how much you love us and others based on that. Forgive us. Would you help us to look upon people like Jesus does? all sinners, and all loved. Now make us like Jesus, Lord, we ask in his name. Amen.